Imagine you're out on a lake and you haven't caught any fish. You've gotten the best fishing rod, the best bait, and you're in a prime location. For some reason, the fish have decided to go hiding. You don't know where the fish are. They're out toward the middle of the lake, hiding in the reefs near the shore. That's why you need to invest in the best fish finder, a simple gadget that will help you find where the fish are hiding. Well, let me say, if you got Jesus as your fishing guide, you don't need to invest in the best fish finder. All you need to hear Jesus say is, cast your net on the right side of the boat. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. So today we're going to see in this passage I titled, Do You Love Me? from John 21. We're going to see Breakfast by the Sea, verses 1 through 14. The restoration of Peter, 15 through 19, and the beloved disciple, verses 20 through 25. I'm going to go ahead and just read the first three verses, open us in prayer, and get us into the teaching of God's Word. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon, Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael of Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Father, I pray that you would help us to be refreshed in the teaching of your word. I'm sure, Lord, this passage is not unfamiliar to us. But Lord, I believe that every time we open your word, even in the familiar passages of scripture, you are able to teach us, teach us new things, remind us of old things that we have perhaps forgotten, that we might know how we ought to walk and to please you. So be with us now, Lord, as we look into your word this day in Jesus name. Amen. So the breakfast by the sea. And here we have Apparently a delay of Jesus. He had told his disciples to meet him in the Galilee. They were there waiting for Jesus. And, and while there was this delay, Jesus had not shown himself yet. Well, Peter did what any good fisherman might do when he has time to kill. He decided to go fishing. And he announced it to the fellow disciples with them there at that time. And John lists some of them by name. We know that his brother Andrew was there. 
that the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, they were there. And he mentions Thomas and Nathaniel. And by their mention, Andrews, James, and John were all fishermen. Uh, some of the theologians believe that Thomas and Nathaniel might have also been fishermen. And there were two other disciples there as well, unnamed to us, but seven altogether. We know in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, in the epistles, that Peter, he was a leader of men. He was a leader of the disciples themselves there in the early church. But we also know that Peter didn't always lead well. Sometimes Peter would say things where he probably should have remained silent. He did this with Jesus on a few occasions. At other times, he would do things when his actions, even in uh, the book of Galatians, Paul had to, he shares of having to reprimand Peter to his face. So he always didn't lead well, and perhaps this is one of those occasions where he wasn't leading well. Peter's call to fishing, it could have been a returning to the old path that he had once known. He was a fisherman by trade. Jesus wasn't showing himself. We don't know how long the delay was. All we know, according to the word of God, is that Jesus had twice shown himself up to this point on the first day of his resurrection, and then again eight days later, that is to the disciples, the group of disciples. He had shown himself twice so far. This will be the third showing to his disciples. And we also know that he was 40 days and 40 nights alive on this earth before he ascended into heaven. So we don't know how much time had lapsed between the eighth day of since his resurrection and his showing himself to the disciples. But it could have been that Peter was falling back to the old paths. He had been called out by Jesus from being a fisherman. But notice by doing so, Peter said, I'm going fishing. And the others could have said, well, go on. We're waiting for Jesus. But they didn't. They said, we're going with you. Sometimes when we return to old paths, we can pull other people with us take them down a dangerous road that they shouldn't be on, that we shouldn't be on in ourselves, especially when we've been called away from that life. Peter, James, John, Andrew had all been called away from the life of being fishermen. It doesn't mean that they could never return to it, but Jesus definitely called them away from it in Matthew 4, verses 18 through 20, where Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon Peter and Andrew, his brother, and they were casting nets in the sea and they were fishermen, the Bible tells us. And then Jesus said to them, Matthew 4, 19, Jesus saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. So they had walked away from that past life. I'm not saying that old paths are always bad paths. Of course, we know there are some old paths things that we have done in our life that we should never return to. But being by trade a fisherman and needing to earn money to support yourself and your family, falling back to the trade of a fisherman isn't necessarily a bad thing, if needful. We know that Paul was a tent maker, and he would often use tent making to supplement his ministry. And thus he used his past training his apprenticeship as a tent maker 
to help support his current ministry. I was thinking about that this week as I was looking at this passage, and we live in a day and age where church growth is it's actually declining in Western societies. Frank Newport, he reports this paragraph. I'll read a quote from him. He said, church attendance has edged down in recent years. Gallup's latest yearly update from its daily tracking survey shows that in 2017, 38% of adults said they attended religious services weekly or almost every week. When Gallup began this question in 2008, the figure was 42%. So he said it's edging down from 42% in 2008, 10 years later, down to 38%. Now, it doesn't seem like a huge decline, but it is a decline uh, nonetheless. And I think that decline is going to continue as our millennials, uh, as they are now adults, as they grow into uh, their own. Many of these millennials have been raised without even going to church. And so I've been pondering this for a number of years now. If we take a society that has been raised without the knowledge of Jesus Christ, without any uh, church background whatsoever. For many of us who are perhaps in our 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, for many of us, perhaps we had been raised in church as a child, fell away, and then came back. But what if you've never been raised to know the Lord? Then what will you come back to? It's not without hope because we know the first generation church Uh, reach the whole world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the majority of the world did not know of Jesus, nor the mission of the church. So we have a different uh, mission field than we have had in times past. But this decline in church attendance at the same time is increasing the need for bivocational pastors. My dad was a bivocational pastor. It simply means that he worked outside of the church to support his family while ministering uh, in the church. Here is Packard Brown, his suggestion to many of the seminaries, and this is something I've been reading about more and more, uh, seminaries training pastors, they haven't quite caught up to this yet, but here's his suggestion, and the title of this article is By Vocational Pastors on the Rise. Just one paragraph, he said, Many seminary internships can be structured to truly immerse students into bivocational ministry, perhaps working alongside bivocational pastors or assigning a ministry mentor who is specialized and skilled in this area. Additionally, dual career themes can be incorporated into the curriculum. For example, bivocational pastors can be invited to the campus to speak, preach, and make connection with the students. And so what I've been reading about a lot in the last few years is that uh, pastors will need to work outside of the church where many seminaries for so many years trained pastors to be in full-time ministry. Well, that is not the reality for a majority of pastors, nor is it the reality of the day and age that we live in. But whether we're a pastor, whether we're a, a lay leader or a church member, As believers, we may have to fall back on past experiences to help support our families or our ministries. 
But if so, we need to make sure that these past works do not harm, but rather supplement the work that God has given us to do. Pastor Lowell from Calvary Chapel, uh, Milwaukee, a friend of here at Calvary Chapel Lake Villa, but we haven't seen a whole lot of Pastor Lowell lately when we had had him come down and speak a few times here at our church. And I haven't seen a whole lot of Pastor Lowell lately as well uh, during the week when we used to meet at least monthly. It's because Pastor Lowell had to go back to full-time work. Full-time work outside of the ministry, I should say, because pastors work. <laughs> it's just outside of the ministry. But what Pastor Lowell really loved about going back out into uh, the secular market is that it opened his heart to evangelism once again. He saw it as a healthy thing. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. It could be seen as a healthy thing. But it's where we're at in this day and age. I found it interesting that Peter fell back to go fishing. He could have been falling back to the old paths, the wrong paths. When he did it, he pulled six other disciples with him. We need to be careful when we fall back to old things. It is not injuring our testimony, our witness. Remember that we could pull others down with us. So we have to be careful in these things. But sometimes we do have to fall back on old works to support our current ministry. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. So John announced they fished all night. They caught nothing. Then verses 4 through 6. But when morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. After a failed night of fishing, a lone shoreman questioned their success. This may not have been unusual for fishermen. By trade, we know at least four of these men were fishermen, so it probably wasn't unusual from people from, let's just say, from uh, Caperna coming to the seashore to get the daily catch. Uh, we were recently out in Hawaii uh, with our son's family and at a few of the restaurants. Almost all of them serve some kind of fish, but it's a big deal to have the daily catch. When you're in Hawaii, it's easy to kind of advertise that, uh, whatever the daily catch might be. When you're in the Midwest here, it's a little tougher. That daily catch has to be sometimes flown in or shipped in. But after a failed night of fishing, they saw this lone shoreman. It may have not been unusual for someone to call out and ask if they had some fish. What was unusual was the lone shoreman's reply. Cast your net on the right side of the boat. Now, you know, I've been fishing before and with my brother-in-law when I was a teenager up in White Lake, Wisconsin. We had went out fishing and we went out all day and caught nothing. And he went that night and went and talked to his uncle and his uncle said, I'll take you out. And the next day we went out and we caught whatever we desired because the uncle knew where the fish were hiding. Now today you have fish finders. You don't even need an uncle to help you. You can go out and uh, through sonar or radar, they can. Well, there's an article about fish finders where it said, imagine you're out on a lake and you haven't caught any fish. 
You've gotten the best fishing rod, the best bait, and you're in a prime location. For some reason, the fish have decided to go hiding. You don't know where the fish are. They're out toward the middle of the lake, hiding in the reefs near the shore. That's why you need to invest in the best fish finder, a simple gadget that will help you find where the fish are hiding. Well, let me say, if you got Jesus as your fishing guide, you don't need to invest in the best fish finder. All you need to hear Jesus say is, cast your net on the right side of the boat. It sounds kind of odd because he does explain at the end of their great catch that they came in in smaller boats. So we're talking about a larger fishing boat with some smaller boats, skiffs that they may have had to come in on. And so we shouldn't be thinking of a small rowboat. Again, there was seven fishermen in this boat, so it was a larger boat. But still, the left side of the boat versus the right side of the boat, you know, in my mind, I get this picture of fish just waiting there on one side, seeing the nets on the other side, thinking we should swim toward that net. That's what we do. And the fish are thinking, no, Jesus has something else for us today. We're supposed to wait here. Okay, that's my mind. It's kind of cartoonish, but they had this great catch. And when they had the great catch, verses 7 through 10, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved and said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it. He plunged into the sea, but the other disciple that other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits, about 300 feet offshore, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. John, the author of our gospel, the beloved disciple, had a little deja vu moment here. When he saw the great catch of fish, he's like, wait a minute, about three years ago, we've been in a very similar situation. It's in Luke 5, verses 4 through 11. I'm not going to read every verse, but most of them. It says when Jesus had stopped speaking at this time, he was using the boat as his pulpit, his platform. He told Simon to launch out into the deep and let down your nets. And Simon answered Jesus, saying, We have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. When Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. So there was James, John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought in their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So John, he had seen this before. He had seen Jesus tell them to do an odd thing about fishing and to have this great catch and so with this deja vu moment, he cried out, it's the Lord. And maybe Peter was a great fisherman. I don't know. Twice in the Bible, we read of him catching nothing. 
so he didn't have a good time all the time. But uh, he put on his outer garment. I'm thinking as a swimmer, that's no way to swim to shore. But he uh, put on his outer garment. He dove in. He couldn't wait. He got to the shore. Matthew 10, 45. The word tells us the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I love it that John explains when, as they were coming to shore, that Jesus already had a fire going. He already had fish and bread going. And he invited them to, hey, bring your catch with you. We'll have a big feast here. I think that's important. I'm going to come back to it in a moment. But in verse 11, it tells us, Simon Peter went up and he dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Last time there was a lot of fish. We don't know if there were large fish or small fish, but there was a lot of fish and the nets were nearly broken. This time there was 153 large fish and the nets remained intact. In fact, we speak of Peter often as being a, a big man, a strong man, and this is one of those clues. He drug that net to land, it appears, on his own. A man of strength, 153 large fish. Now there's a lot of theories as to why 153. I'm going to read a few to you. Jerome, one of the early church fathers, taught that it represented the apostles bringing all the nations into the kingdom. Others had said the 153 is the numeric total for the Hebrew words, I am God. Others then again said that the tetragrammation, that is the YHWH of the Lord in the Old Testament, that it appears 153 times in the book of Genesis. So there's a connection to the 153 fish to the YHWH of the book of Genesis. Others say that it represented every species of fish that was there in the Sea of Galilee at that time. Some have taken it to say that 153 represents the 17th triangular number, and the 10 representing the law, 7 representing grace, equaling 17, and then picture of the law and grace. It's very complicated. You gotta uh, line it up and do one plus two is three and, and go all the way to get to 153. It's like, uh, have you ever seen the math uh, skills of Abbott and Costello? It's perhaps some of you, I'm taking it back, but you have to go pretty far out to get to that one, but they represented law and grace. Others say number 154 got away. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the number, and I've had people argue this, and I'm just not going there. Uh, I think when we get to heaven, if we think this is really important, we can ask that lone shoreman, why 153? You see a lot of different theories, and there were many more. Some of them, as I read them, I'm thinking, where in the world did you come up with that? So let's just keep it simple. There was 153 fish, but then Jesus said, verses 12 through 14, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dare ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord, Jesus then came and took bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. 
Now, this was the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus, we find that he was cooking breakfast for his disciples. It reminds us that ministry is not always about the great mountaintop experiences. Quite often, ministry is about the common things that take place in our daily lives. And that's why I wanted you to note that Jesus already had a fire going. He already had fish we don't know where he got the fish, but he already had fish and the coals, bread there. And it just reminds me that ministry often is about the common things that take place in our daily lives. Paul wrote in Galatians 5, 13 and 14, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, not to use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law has been fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That we've been called to serve one another. We find Jesus serving his disciples. As I read from Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Thank you.